bits and pieces of it, but I think we can all sing it together. We may have even done it here one time before. Page 401, The Unclouded Day. We'll sing all four verses. Hymn number 401. an unclouded day. It's a day where it ain't 110 degrees outside either. Somebody say amen right there. I tell folks all the time, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I hate hot weather. Amen. Thank you for being back tonight. Let's open up in prayer. Ask the Lord's blessings on our services tonight. We're sure glad to have you back. And as we mentioned this morning, pray for Ms. Irma, Ms. Edna, and their family, and the passing of the brother-in-law, and then, of course, those that prayer requests that were mentioned today. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity once again tonight to be back in your house. Thank you for those that made their way back out. Lord, we surely came tonight to hear from heaven, to receive a blessing. Lord, we came tonight hungry, and Lord, thanking you for the blessings of the day, but looking forward to something special tonight as well. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us now. In Christ's name, let's stay standing. We'll have a song of fellowship. Come on, Brother Ken, let's shake hands tonight. And let's turn to page 162. The song has helped me a lot in my Christian walk. Hymn number 162, Living by Faith. We'll sing the first verse and chorus. We'll have a time of fellowship. Hymn number 162. 
All right. Thank you so very much. Appreciate that. Uh-oh, Sister Vi, you got somebody after your husband, honey. Walking in arm in arm. Woo! I'm telling you what. You a thank you note, I guarantee it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Appreciate it. Mary Hart doeth good like medicine. Amen. Let me give you a couple of announcements tonight. First of all, uh, don't forget, ladies, leaving 11 o'clock here at the church at about 10 till. Get your stuff loaded up. We'll head on out the door and uh, get ready to go. We'll grab something to eat on route, get you there in time to get checked in and get to the services on Thursday night. And we're sure looking forward to a great time with the ladies that are heading out. Those that still are here, teens, young adults, the uh, uh, youth rally at Gospelite Baptist Church, 3.30, uh, leaving from here at the church. It starts at 5, is that right? Uh, and that is um, Gospelite Baptist Church on uh, Guthrie Road. And I'll give everybody the address. I had a couple folks asking tonight. I've got it tonight if you want it. I'll give you that address for your uh, GPS if you want that. But it's down in Walkertown where my kids went to school. Uh, Gospelite Baptist Church, huge church. And uh, looking forward to uh, trusting that the Lord will do something great down there at Gospelite with, at the youth rally down there. Then I, I had a couple of folks asking me about this this morning. I want to explain something to you. Uh, if you have, as you come in, you might see hidden, uh, tucked away here and there, some cameras, little bitty cameras that we've got set up. We've mentioned to you several times that we're upgrading the security here for reasons that I'm sure you understand because we live in a crazy, crazy world today. So uh, when you're coming in, and when you're leaving, you can smile and wave because you are indeed on candid camera. I promise you. You are. In, and you might think, why are you doing that, preacher? Because when someone walks in that ought not to be, we got it on tape. Amen. That's all we're saying. We want anybody to feel welcome. Amen. But if there's ever a time where somebody's causing problems, we've got an uh, op opportunity to take care of that. So you know what that's all about. Josh. Jesse just shared something with me about Wendy. Stand up and tell everybody, because I think Jesse probably would be too crazy or humiliated to do it publicly. Stand up, Joshua, and tell everybody what Jesse just shared with me. Let that flicker flame even brighter, folks. I appreciate that. That is awesome. You never know what a simple thing like bowing your head in prayer before your meal is going to do for somebody. I appreciate that so very much. Fellas, come down tonight. Miss Betty, you come get ready to sing for us. You be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings, and God will bless you for that. 
We're going to ask God's blessings upon the offering. And you, again, be obedient unto him. You take that red one there, sister. Let's pray together. James, lead us to the Lord in prayer. Blessings over the offering. Yell a mic for James. Sister Betty's going to sing. Let's pray together, son. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us to come back here. Thank you for the great privilege that we have to worship you. Father, I pray that you would take the money that we give to you, Father, and that you would further your cause. Father, I pray that everything that is done here tonight would be pleasing to you. Father, help us and lead us, Father, to worship you. Praise, honor, and thank you. In your son, we pray. Amen. Life gets you down, you're feeling more broken than whole. When the wounds go deeper than words, and you can't tell a soul. I may not know what you're going through, may not can make that huge mountain. One thing I found, I'd really like you to know. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. He wants to share the burdens you bear. Whisper peace when your world gets shattered. Your greatest joy, or your deepest pain, or you're just needing an answer, if it matters to you, it matters to the Master. far too busy to care about your trouble and strife. He sees the sparrow that falls to the ground. He hears the tears that don't make a sound. If you only knew how precious you are in his sight. If to share the burdens you bear. Whisper peace when your world gets shattered. If it's your greatest joy or your deepest pain or you're just needing an answer, if it matters to you, it matters to the Master. If it matters to you, 
Amen. What a blessing. I absolutely love that. Tremendous, tremendous. Come on up here, son. Get ready to share a thought with us tonight. I always like to uh, give our young preachers an opportunity to deliver to you tonight. And uh, and I shared to you this morning, preaching's a training ground like anything else. And I appreciate Josh and James and what they do for the Lord. So I hope you'll give them a listen tonight, son. You come on and deliver what the Lord's laid on your heart this evening. If you're glad you're saved tonight, give us a big amen. Here we go. Dive in, son. It is a wonderful and weighty privilege to be here before you tonight. Before I begin, I'd ask you to please bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you when we count it a privilege to be here. Lord, I pray that as we go into the preaching and proclaiming of your word, Father, please may you give us ears to hear and help us to understand with obedience the things that you have preserved for us. Father, give us insight through your spirit to the truths that are contained in this book. And Father, may you help us to comprehend them and to implement them, that we may live for the praise of your glorious grace. We will thank you and give you all the praise, and it's through your Son we pray. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Timothy tonight, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. And we're going to be beginning in verse number 12, and we will finish out the chapter. Again, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 beginning in verse 12, reading down through verse 17, finishing out the chapter. As I was getting ready to preach this evening, praying and organizing, I wonder tonight, um, in fact, I know, those of us who are Christians, I'm speaking tonight to Christians, I know all of us, all of us want to live a life pleasing to our Lord. We all want that. That's one of the marks of being a Christian. First John tells us that. We want to live to the praise and the honor of the one who saved us. Now, yes, it is true. Many times that desire is not strong. It, it often flags. We aren't diligent in trying to keep that up. But it's still there. We want to do it. But we all live in what I call Romans 7. If you read that, you see Paul's struggle to live that life. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. That is the daily, lifelong struggle of the Christian life. If you're like me, you look on your life and you think, how can I make so little growth? I mean, after years, and I'm, I know I'm only 20, but after trying to grow, and then all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, nope, I feel like I'm starting all over again. And oftentimes it leads us to just throw up our hands and give up and say, that's it, can't do this, I'm done. And sometimes we wonder, does the Word of God offer us any help to this? I will say, right off the bat, there is no six-step plan to conquering all your sin. There is no 12-step formula to uh, implement into your daily scheme to live perfectly, happily, amen, close the book, that's the end. That does not exist period, point blank. But what the Word of God does offer us is help and guidance and growth in this Christian life. And that's what I want to bring tonight from our text. The title of the sermon this evening 
is truths for living. Truths for living. And what I hope that you see tonight is that we as Christians will be much better equipped and prepared to live godly lives by first recognizing that difficulties in this life are unavoidable, by receiving what I've called some needed pushing, and by recognizing the nature of God's word. That's what I want to bring to you tonight. Now, about our text, as I've already said, this is Paul's second letter to his apprentice, Timothy, and it is his last letter that we know of. It is about A.D. 65. Paul is in a prison in Rome. He's in a basically a dank, dark, wet dungeon under the ground, hunched over like this, barely any light, awaiting to have his head chopped off by the bloodthirsty, sadistic emperor Nero, the most disgusting emperor the world has seen. Paul knows his time is done. He knows he's finished his, rec- excuse me, his race, but he wants to leave these things for Timothy. We see here Paul's heart. When you read 2 Timothy, it's Paul's heart. These are the words of a dying man. These are what Paul wanted to leave behind for Timothy. The opening chapters, he gives the standard greeting, and he wants to encourage Timothy to not be discouraged that his master is in jail for preaching the gospel. He wants Timothy to keep on going. Then in beginning in chapter 3, he begins to recount his various persecutions and imprisonments. And that brings us to where, where we are. So go with me now to 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Paul writing, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, excuse me, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." What we're going to see tonight is that in verses 12 through 13, we're going to see that difficulties are unavoidable. In verses 14 and 15, we will see that we must receive uh, some needed, what I've called pushing. Then in verses 16 and 17, we will recognize the nature of Scripture, all designed to help us live a godly life. Number one, beginning in verse 12 and 13, we must recognize that difficulties are unavoidable. First, allow me to say to every single Christian in this building that wants to live a life pleasing to God, listen, we will be harassed. I've chosen that word very deliberately. We will be harassed. Go with me now to verse 12. Paul writing, he says, first of all, yay. Now, this means yes, absolutely, most surely. You can bank on this, Timothy. There's no doubt about this. What? and all that will live godly. Now, godly means God-like. So Paul's saying that every single person who is attempting to live a life that reflects the character of God, everyone who's trying to live a holy life, a just life, a righteous life, a life of mercy and forgiveness and trust and faith, everyone who will do that 
Then he says a, a very interesting phrase, in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you literally get up and put on a pair of clothes that says in Christ Jesus. So you're walking around in Christ. It's not what that's talking about. In Christ Jesus is the way Paul refers to those of us who are saved. When we are saved, we are put in Christ. And that is honestly how all the blessings of salvation are given to us. Because we are in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us. Example, he is now ascended into heaven in a glorified body. Those of us who are in Christ will one day receive that blessing. We will one day be given a glorified body. He's talking here to believers. He says, Timothy, every single person who wants to live a godly life, who is in Christ Jesus, what? Shall suffer persecution. There is no doubt here what Paul said, shall suffer persecution. Now, I need to qualify this term persecution because I'm afraid that because of our history books, we think that persecution means being nailed to a stake and being burned alive or being thrown to the lions and being eaten. And we'll read this text and think, well, you know, you know I might be hated by some liberals, but I'm not going to be thrown to the lions. Well, we got to understand, I know he loved that. I'm sure she'll post that on Facebook too. We have to understand that this word persecution, it, doesn't, it does not carry the same idea of what we think of as persecution. The word literally means, in the originals, will be harassed. That's all that Paul is saying here. In fact, if you go back and look uh, at verse 11, turn back with me, Will, please, to verse 11 of this same chapter. Paul's talking about everything that he's uh, went through. He says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. When you go back into the book of Acts and you look at these incidents, any of them, Paul was never one time physically touched. It was verbally being abused by the Pharisees and the Jews. That's all it was. So in verse 12, Paul says, hey, Timothy, tell your people at Ephesus where Timothy was. Every single person who wants to live a godly life is going to face this. You must expect it. You must be prepared to be mocked, to be made fun of, to be laughed at, to be spit upon, to be derided, to be ridiculed. You must go into life prepared for this. That's harsh, but that's reality. That means, Dad, tomorrow when you get up and you go to work and you try to do an honest day's work without trying to cut corners, you're going to be made fun of for that. All of us now who've gone back to college or high school, whatever, when you tell your friends that you want to do certain things and live a certain way and not do certain things before the appointed time, you are going to be made fun of. It's going to happen. You can't be walking through life with a bed of roses. No, Paul says this is going to happen. We will be harassed. But he doesn't stop there. We're talking about now, he says that difficulties are unavoidable. And he says first that we will be harassed. But then, beginning in verse 13, he tells us that even, yes, we will be harassed, but also false teachers will get worse. False teachers will get worse. Stay with me. Verse 13, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, this is a connection of the same thought. The word but there makes it look like the, that, you know, something opposite is going to happen. 
in the originals, this is a word that just shows a connection. It's the same thing going on. Almost like at the same time that you're going to be facing all these things and being harassed, this is going on. What? He says, evil men and seducers. We would say ungodly people and charlatans. People who don't live the way God commands and a bunch of liars. A bunch of people who, if you ever watch, I guess, old older movies, there's always that one guy on the side of the road who's trying to sell the uh, miracle drug snake oil. That'll fix everything. Those kind of people, charlatans, tricksters, evil men and tricksters will what? Shell, wax, that means grow, worse and worse. Paul is telling Timothy that things are not going to get easier. It's not going to be a bed of roses here, Timothy. Yes, you're going to be ridiculed, but listen, the people who oppose you, they're going to get worse and worse. They're not going to get better and better. They're going to get worse and worse. Now, how exactly, Paul, Timothy could ask Paul, how exactly are they going to get worse? Are they going to keep you know, living worse or what? Paul explains what he means in the next phrase. Notice verse 13. It says, pardon me. It says, deceiving and being deceived. Now, I need to explain this, and please follow me. You'll notice that the word deceiving, it looks like the, the irregular verb deceive. I would say, I deceive. What we have here, please stay with me, is what is called a participle in grammar. And a participle is a verb that describes something. This here, the word deceiving, is a participle that is describing worse and worse. It's showing the areas that these people will get worse in. What's the areas? First, they'll get worse in deceiving people. Paul tells Timothy, as time goes on, it almost looks like the Christian message may not spread as much, Timothy, because false teachers, they will keep deceiving more and more and more and more. They'll be more and more able to deceive people. They'll be able to pull the wool over more people's eyes, but also... They'll be deceived. They'll be deceiving themselves. They'll believe their own message. Um, just follow, I remember many times growing up, I used to love reading fantasy books, knights in shining armor, magicians, all that stuff. And the one thing, that, a recurring theme that always popped up in those books, you always had the good guy and the bad guy, and it was always clear and whatever. But always in those books, if you had a villain who was being evil just to be evil, yeah, that was the bad guy, but he was kind of easy to defeat. But the really evil bad guy was the guy who thought he was on the right side. That was the guy, that's the guy in the fantasy books who's always a pain in the butt. He's the guy that thinks he's doing the right thing. That's the people that Paul was talking about. These false teachers, yes, yeah, some of them are charlatans and they're doing it just, you know, maybe to get rich or whatever. But some of these people will actually believe their own message and they will get worse at it. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, this has nothing to do with me. I'm in a Christian church. Let me put this in perspective for you. Do you, know what, do you know what one of the fastest growing religions in the world is right now? It's not Islam. Jehovah's Witness. They're going exponentially, month by month by month by month. A group that expressly denies the deity of Jesus Christ, says he is a created being, he's just Michael the archangel. A group that expressly denies salvation is by faith a group that mistranslate the Bible into their own translation that is sending millions, in fact, billions of people to hell every year, and they're getting worse every 
single year, every year. What about all these people that, you know, some people like and admire in the Christian church, and they claim to be preachers, but you never hear them mention salvation through the cross. They never mention sin. They'll say the gospel is meant to help you live a better life and no problems, no worries. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And yet people imbibe this stuff because they don't realize, we don't realize we have to be prepared for things to get worse. If we think that things are going to get better, we knocked on our face. Christian, dad, mom, when you go to work and you find out that maybe your coworker has joined this other religion, understand it shouldn't shock you because we're told it's going to get worse and worse, not easier, worse. And if we're going to live a godly life, church, we must realize things are not going to get easier. They're going to get worse and worse. Now, first thing we saw is that we must recognize that difficulties are unavoidable. But that's not all. Because in verses 14 and 15, we must receive what I've called some needed, some needed pushing. We must receive some needed pushing. Go with me now to verse 14. Verse 13, the evil man and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Now, Paul changes gears here, and he says first that we must continue in what is true. We must continue in what is true. Notice, but, complete change of topic here. In spite of the evildoers, but you, Timothy, this is a command, but continue. The word is remain, live, keep going in the things, what things? Which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Paul says, Timothy, in spite of these false teachers and in spite of the mocking, you continue, remain in the things that you have learned, in the things that here it says has been assured, that means convinced of. Paul says, Timothy, these false teachers, no, don't listen to them. You remain in the truth. Paul calls it what you have learned, what you have been assured of. Now, I'm the kind of person who realizes that, yes, you know, give commands, that's great. But Paul knew, as well as I realized he was right, a command is only as good insofar as the reason behind it is good. It is one thing to say, do not kill. but It's another thing to give the reasons behind why you shouldn't kill someone. Paul now follows this command of continuing in the truth with some reasons. The first thing he says is that we must continue in the truth because of the people we have learned it from. Because of the people we have learned it from. Go with me now, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, notice, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now again, this word knowing is another participle, and this time it is showing reason. It's almost like Paul is saying, Timothy, do this, but keep this in your head. Here's the reason. What? Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Stay in the truth, Timothy, because of who taught you, because of where you learned it from. Now, the obvious question, who did Timothy learn from? Well, here it's plural, multiple people. And honestly, we don't know who Timothy learned from except for one person we know, the apostle, Paul. 
The reason that Timothy was supposed to continue was because of the apostle. Well, you know, that's a great intellectual digging. How does that help us? First of all, we must understand what an apostle was. Please stay with me. This is very important. This, this word is tossed around today, but we must understand this. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos. It means an envoy or a messenger. So the 12 apostles are literally the 12 messengers. Now, how does that help us? These men were expressly commissioned by the Lord to deliver his truth. These men were directly appointed. They are his direct messengers to us. It is true in scripture, we see people called apostles of the churches. Those are people who are sent out by churches to deliver messages, almost like mailmen. But the apostles, the 12, were God's chosen messengers. Again, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, that's a great intellectual fact. It doesn't help me. Yes, it does. Because the body of truth that you're holding in your lap comes from those men, comes from those apostles. Matthew was an apostle. Mark and Luke, new apostles. John was an apostle. The book author of Acts, Luke, was an apostle. Paul was an apostle. These men were the direct messengers of God. Which means, church, when we get up every morning and we seek to obey the Lord, the message that we're seeking to obey was delivered to us by the messengers of God. Not some one man's fantasy, the messengers of God. This message is from him. The message that we seek to obey comes from the apostles, the messengers. The same people that taught Timothy teach us through the word. That's why we must obey them because it's not their inventions. They're just messengers passing it along. We must stick to this. We must continue in the truth because of who teaches it, because of the people. But secondly, stay with me, we must continue in the truth because of, stay with me, because of the Old Testament. Because of the Old Testament. Stay with me now. The end of verse 14. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and another reason, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul now gives Timothy a second reason for staying true to this doctrine that he has learned. First, Paul says, continue because of who taught you, the apostles. But secondly, continue because from a child known the Holy Scriptures. Now, we need to be careful here. Timothy didn't have the entire Bible that we had. Paul's referring here to the Old Testament. You know, Genesis through Malachi, the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, the set-apart writings. Well, how is that important to Timothy? Why did Paul use this as a reason to motivate Timothy to keep going on in the truth? Because Paul tells Timothy that the message of the Old Testament is the exact same message that Paul was giving Timothy. Notice verse 15, which the Old Testament Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That means they're able to teach you the way of, of salvation. That is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, I've given you this message of salvation, this doctrine, but it's nothing new. You need to continue in this doctrine because this has been the same message from the beginning. Now, how does this help us? Because, let me put this in perspective. We view the Bible as one book because it's one book in your lap. But it's 66 individual books. In the Old Testament, we have 39 individual books. It would have been scrolls back then, more than likely. 
by over 30 different people over 1,000 years on three different continents, and it's one message. It's one body of truth. There is no contradiction. There's one message. Different literary styles, different people, but one message. I dare you to do the odds on that and see if some people can make that up. There is no evidence that these people all got together and invented this. No, it's one doctrine. That's what should motivate us. That should help us in our faith to realize that, hey, people can't make this up. Let me point it to you. If people had made up this doctrine, if people had written the Old Testament books to make themselves look good, would they have shown all their uh, flaws and fallacies? If Moses had written you know, the Old Testament books to make himself look good, why would he include his mistakes? We wouldn't make this stuff up. No, this comes from God, and it's the same message for over a thousand years. So when you, dad, when you, teenager, go to school, and you do your work trying to be diligent and be a good student as God has called you to do, you are standing in a line of truth that has been the same for over 2,000 years. We must continue in the truth. We must receive this pushing because of the apostles and because of the Old Testament, because of this truth. First, in verses 12 through 13, we see that we must continue, we must recognize the difficulties are unavoidable. They're going to happen. Then in verses 14 and 15, we must receive some needed encouragement, some pushing. But then finally, in verses 16 through 17, we must recognize the nature of Scripture. We must recognize the nature of Scripture. Go with me out of verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, how does this relate? Well, first of all, look at the phrase, all Scripture. The first thing we see is that all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is God-breathed. Verse 16 All scripture. Now, we must pause and answer a very important question. To what is Paul referring? Because there are those who argue that this phrase, all scripture, is only talking about the Old Testament because that's all that Timothy had. So this only applies to the Old Testament, has no bearing on the New Testament. That's not the case. Paul does not say all the Old Testament. He says all scripture. You say, isn't that the same thing? Not quite. Because we know from reading that Paul actually cites the gospel of Luke and calls it scripture. Peter cites Paul and calls it scripture. So these early Christians knew that the scripture, the body of works written by God was expanding. Paul now talks about all of these things and he says those things, those writings, they are given by inspiration of God. Now how does this help us? The word inspiration is the Greek word theopneustos. It means God breathed. Scripture is God breathed. We need to stop and etch this into our heads. When these men sat down to write, when Paul sat down to write this letter, we can clearly see he had his personality. He wrote this letter. It has his mark written all over it. But over and above Paul stood God. Now, we don't know how God did this. God doesn't tell us how he inspired this book. More than likely, God did not verbally tell Paul what to write word for word. We don't know. But all we know is that at the end result, 
What Paul wrote is what God wanted him to write. So what we have is as authoritative as if God himself has spoken it. That means every book you hold in your lap in that Bible is breathed out by God. It is authoritative. It has authority. It has power. But he doesn't say it's inspired by God. He also says that all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. Notice the next phrase. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all Scripture is profitable. That means it's beneficial. It has the ability to do this. To do what? Well, number one, it's profitable for doctrine. People get scared of that word. The word doctrine just means teaching. The word of God is able to teach us in the true things of the faith. Number two, it's profitable for reproof. Now, the word reproof means extreme displeasure. The word of God is profitable to, is profitable to teach us, but it is also profitable to, ex, to show us where we are extremely wrong. We are extremely in, like a mirror is what James says. It shows us where we are wrong. But it, then it's also profitable, number three, for correction. This, show, this, is, this word means that it shows us what to do because of what we've done wrong, how to put us back on the right course. And then it's also profitable for instruction in righteousness, for keeping us on that right course once we've been there. The word of God is profitable for all these things. How does Paul tie that together to help us? Verse 17. That, this word shows purpose or result. So the result of the word of God being God-breathed, the results of the word of God being profitable is that the man of God may be perfect. That the man of God may be perfect. Now, first of all, the man of God is borrowed from the Old Testament. It's, it was used then to refer to the prophets, but we would honestly call them preachers because that was mainly their job. So Paul says that all this is done for the results that the prophet, the preacher, may be perfect. Now, honestly, that word perfect means complete, equipped, completely put in the right place. What exactly does that mean? Paul explains it in the next phrase. The word perfect means thoroughly furnished, thoroughly equipped, prepared unto all good works. So the results of this word of God is that it will take the preacher and it will mold him into all that he needs to be to be a good Christian. The word of God is a, there's a good doctrine, the sufficiency of scripture. The word of God is sufficient for everything that God wants us to do. Question, if the word of God is sufficient for the preacher, isn't it sufficient for every other Christian? Isn't it able to do all this for every other Christian? So many people are waiting around for some neon sign in the sky from God, for some sort of leading from God when God says that his word is sufficient for everything. His word is able to teach us what is correct. His word is able to correct us when we are wrong. His word is able to show us what to do because of that wrong. His word is able to keep us on the right path. This means that when we seek to live a godly life in society every day, the word of God is all we need to be our guide. Now, that does not mean so many people get this idea. That does not mean that you should take your Bible, go out into the woods, have no help, and try to figure it out. You might come out with some really odd ideas, especially if you try to read the Psalms by yourself. You'll probably think that God has wings like an eagle and a beak. God has given us teachers to his church to help us, but what they teach us from the word, that's all we need. To please God, 
We need nothing else farther than this. We don't need some, extra, some other revelation from some weird preacher. This is all we need. So let me ask you, during the week, do we take time to study this? I'm not talking about reading three chapters. I'm talking about reading with understanding. Do we seek to understand the message of this book to help us grow in our sanctification, knowing that this is what we need if we want to please God? We need this God-breathed stuff. We need it to profit us. Do we seek to actually grasp it, to understand it, to help us grow? Church, when we look at these verses, we see these things that are meant to help us. We see first that we must recognize difficulties are unavoidable. Then we must receive some needed pushing or encouragement. Then we must recognize the nature of Scripture. Church, these things are given for our edification to build us up. Now let me ask you, let me ask me, do we honestly think that we can look at these principles and just think that we're, that we're good enough without them? If we think that and we try to live a Christian life, we are going to fall flat on our face every single time. If we don't recognize that we're going to be mocked, then the moment we are mocked, we're going to shrivel up and die. Jesus talks about that in his parables. There are those who spring up when the seed is sown, but because of persecutions, fall away. We must be prepared. If we don't receive this encouragement that we're standing in a line of men going back a thousand years, we might flag. And then if we don't recognize that what we're holding is God's word and we must stick to it, we might be swayed back and forth. We must receive this body of truth. So now, tomorrow, let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. We get up tomorrow and the week starts again. It's a whole other week till Sunday. We get up tomorrow. What is going to be different? I'm not asking you to make a radical change and revamp everything and go to the mission field in South Africa and Zimbabwe. What I am asking is, how are we going to make this work? Are we going to start carving time into our schedule every day for serious Bible study? Not reading, study and understanding the message. Are we going to take time to remember, hey, you know what? Today, I'm going to be mocked and made fun of, but it doesn't matter. I've got to keep going. Are we going to take the time to recognize that when I try to have faith and trust in God, I'm following after Abraham and Isaac and all these men for over 2,000 years? Or are we just going to be another day, another whatever for Bible reading time, another discouragement at work because we weren't ready, because we weren't equipped, another person swaying us because we're not fully convinced that this is God's word and that it's able to do what it says? What's it going to be? I pray that we would take these things to use them to build us up in service that we may be equipped to live a life for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Father, I pray that the Spirit would work through the Word to do what only the Spirit can do. May it inform minds, instruct the hearts, and influence the behavior. Father, we love you, and it's through your Son we pray. Amen. Thank you, James. I want to invite you to your feet tonight. I think a clear theme of the day has been the importance of private time. We talked about this morning the quiet time, the away time, the alone time that Elijah had with God. Honey, I want you to start playing for us. James alluded to it tonight, clearly the importance of that private time that we spend with God. Let me, let me, let me add on one tiny thing. We will, never be, we will only ever be as strong 
in our faith as the quiet time we spend with God. Think about that for just a second. So with heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, if that is an area of your life where you know you need some work, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to join me at this altar tonight because the reality is we could all do a whole lot better at this. Spending private time with God. I guarantee most of you in here are like me. You spend more time looking at a screen than you do talking to your Heavenly Father. Why don't you join me at this altar tonight as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this evening. Lord, you've clearly told us through your word that it will never return void, and surely that is the case tonight. Lord, we've heard clearly illustrated for us this evening the importance of of being equipped for what we face, that we will face discouragements, that we will face difficulties, that we will face tribulations. Lord, you've also given us that clear nudge of why we should stick to the call, stick to the calling. Lord, you've given us the scriptures, you've given us instruction, you've given us the way to do battle. But so often we fail to turn to the very weaponry that you've promised us in your word. Lord, we also recognize, we value, and we understand the fact that quiet time with you, Lord, is absolutely essential to our Christian life. Lord, church is wonderful, and Lord, we got to have it. Lord, we need it. We desperately need that time of worship. But Lord, worship doesn't substitute for study, doesn't substitute for alone time with you. Lord, thank you for the blessings of this day. Lord, as we get ready to go the spiritual battle for another week. Lord, I pray that we'd all be reminded of the importance of carving out this, the few minutes every day to talk to you through the power of prayer. Lord, allowing you to talk to us through the power of studying your word. Lord, it's been a good day in your house today. We thank you for how you've blessed us, for the blessings of this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here this evening. Fellowship, shake hands with each other. You're dismissed tonight.